Disclaimer, the host of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. That's right. You know who that is. You down with TPP. Yeah, you know me. What's up, Timmy? How we doing this week, buddy? We're doing all right. We're doing better. We're doing better. I will say well, that. Better is good. Better is better good. is good. Better is good. Dead is better. <laughs> dead is better. Sometimes <laughs> dead is better. <laughs> Don't go down that road. Ah, Patrick. So today uh, we have a we have a um, we have, we have we're on Zoom. So what does that mean? So Zoom, that means we're here for another interview. An interview. Yeah. Excellent. That's right. Today we have we have somebody that um that I have known to go through some uh trials and tribulations, we'll say. Or we can just say that it's been through some shit. Or you can just say that they've been to Venus and back, you know? Um but either way, I, 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 you know, as most of our episodes, whether it's with us or, or uh, a guest, um, I just want to say that, you know, the, the, the topics we bring up and the stories that we share, the, the purpose of that is to help others, give others insight, uh, perspective on things, and, um, you know, kind of, kind of let let others know that they're not alone in this. So it's, um, yeah, that's kind of what, what I wanted to say, but so anyway, so I, uh, again, I know this person had, has gone through some shit and, um, at the same time, she is, uh, a very, from what I know, she's a very kind person. And sometimes that makes me like question things like, how can you, you know, be, almost broken in two and then you know to stand up and just dust yourself off and 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 almost be a better person than you were you know before so that that kind of makes me um interesting interested i guess i should say so anyways without further ado she's been to venus and back welcome tori to above ground podcast hi guys Hi, Tori. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate Thanks. it. I, my first question is, how are you? How are you right now? I am good. Um, like everyone else, I have my moments. Um, I, think, I think humor helps. Laughing at myself, laughing at the... Um, chaos that's around us you know i mean you got to have a sense of humor or you'll never get through anything that's my that's my thing yeah we we uh we definitely concur on that one yeah we definitely concur on that one uh we're big into laughter and laughing at ourselves is a is a big part of that because if you can't laugh at yourself then you can't laugh at anyone right it's true right yeah, you know, I mean, I think that right now is not real life. It's it's hard to assess anything. I think we all, I think this is a good time, like as chaotic as it is and as scary as it is and an, as uncertain as it is, um, I think it's a good opportunity to kind of just for everybody to chill and sit back and, you know, maybe not make any big decisions or assess how you're feeling emotionally because it's just not real life. It's not real life right now. That's my, that's my. Yeah. That's, yeah. Life know? seems to have been kind of put on hold for, yeah. a, for, for a, quite a while. 
Can you tell us exactly some of the things that some of the shit that you've been through? <laughs> um, sure. I mean, from an early age, I've had a lot of medical issues, um, just some weird things. But I think um, hugest things that have had a big impact on me. Um, I lost my infant daughter. Um, she was very young, only a few weeks old. She actually she died in my arms. Um, at my at the time, my husband, you know, too. And then I've had cancer a few times. Um, I've had a few failed marriages. Um, just lots of hurt, you know, lots of, um, lots of tough times. You know, the, they say that the hardest thing is losing a child. And, and um, I can speak to that for sure. But also, I feel like what it does is it makes you realize that joy and pain can coexist excellent well that's quite and that's quite the yin and yang of things but it's that's a real true balance that pain and joy do exist in the same bubble Mm -hmm. yeah we went through a really hard time with her um you know and i i think how i got through it was that I, i called on my community I asked for help. I asked for support. I was honest and open every step of the way about how I felt and what was hard. Um, like real raw, gritty stuff. I, I, I put it out there for everybody. And I, and I think that writing through it, um, I documented a lot of it, writing, um, asking straight up, I need help. This is how I'm feeling. Um, and just having support, it it really kind of uh, refreshed my um, faith in mankind. You know, there was, was so it people, sorry. Was it difficult to for you to to kind of reach out, ask for help? You know, I feel like it kind of happened by accident. Um, I talked to someone in in. Um, in the medical field. And she told me, you know, you have worked for your company for a long time. You have this big belly, you have lots of friends, you have lots of family, and you're going to have to tell them the truth about your pregnancy and what could happen. And, you know, it, it got to the point where everybody was wanting me to update about, you know, through my pregnancy, we knew early on that it, that it could be rough. And um, instead of having to update everybody 50 times a day I started putting it out there on Facebook for my friends and family and then it grew into this huge thing where it became a huge community support and fundraisers and just endless prayers and love and support and it it just like I said along with all of the pain and uncertainty came this huge this feeling of of joy and just awe and on in the world and I, th- I think that has a lot to do with resiliency you know being you know that childlike curiosity of the world wow people you know people really are are good and and they really do care about other people and you know this is amazing and and so it turned out to be even though we knew things could be grim it turned out to be the best experience of my life like my daughter came into this world beautifully, but she also died a beautiful death. And 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 what could be more perfect and innocent and amazing than that? How can wow. I, you know, don't get me wrong. There were times where I had to be picked up off the floor, you know. No, I'm never, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You never I never stayed there too long though. Never stayed there too long. Were you afraid that you would stay there too long if if you let um, the grief overcome you? Which I'm sure it did at some point where the grief just became so unbearable, but you figured out a way to to work work with it, it at least it seems from the way you're the way you're speaking about about how she came into the world beautifully and, and died a beautiful death. That's pretty poignant and powerful to say. Yeah, I mean, I think throughout the whole thing, I learned to honor, to honor every feeling as irrational as it might seem, as um, warranted as it might seem. But I had a little boy too, 
you know, I, I have my son, I have my family, I had a job. And it's so hard to comprehend that when your world just took a blow, the rest of the world is still spinning and you have to go on. You have to get up. You know, you can't, you can't drown in it. You can't suck it down because honestly, with all that I had learned and all of the hope that I had and all of the support that I had and all of the beauty that I experienced, how could I drown in it? I gotta, I gotta put one step in, you know, I gotta put one foot in front of the other in honor of her. Do you think your greatest life jacket for not drowning in that, do you think it was the community that you had or was there something, or was there a, a point where it was, it was on you that, and you recognize that it was on you to overcome these things and, and pull yourself out of it? Well, you know, I think, I think I had already been doing that for a while, pulling myself out of stuff. Um, so I, I feel like I was kind of already, I'm just, I'm just a, the human condition has always fascinated me. And I feel like, um, I've had, I've had some shit, you know, when I was in my twenties, I had a huge tumor in my spinal cord. They didn't know if I was even going to live. And, and I just, I know that I love life. I knew that I love life. And I knew that if I drown, if I let myself swim in those waters of, of grief and darkness um, for too long, that, that I wouldn't get out. So I let myself cry on the floor, take a deep breath. My son is still calling me. I still love him too. I still got to, you know, and not to mention at the time, my husband at the time, you know, he, he carried me too. So I think it was a combination of everything. Well, honestly, my community, my son, the fact that I couldn't, I couldn't give up. Um, again, what, what would I be doing if, if I, after experiencing all those beautiful experiences, how could I possibly drown? It just, it just wasn't an option for me. Wow. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm finding, I'm trying to figure out where to go with this next. <laughs> no, <laughs> just because I just, just because I'm, I'm, I'm usually not at a loss for words a lot of times, but every once in a while you'll hear a story that you're just like, wow, like I don't, I, I'm, I'm overcome by your strength, to be honest with you. And I think there's not really much anybody needs to say to you, except I, I guess right now, I guess the question for me is, it, because this is more of a mental health based podcast and everything, okay. everything is mental health. How is your, how is your mental health now? And how did you find, like, you said you grounded a lot of things in writing. Mm-hmm do you still write? Is writing become a very big part of your therapy? Absolutely. Um, I also, I also, um, you know, I, I feel like I, I experienced some situational depression at that time. Um, I knew I started thinking about things and there were days where I would sit at the table and look at a plate of food and say, I don't deserve to eat, man. I couldn't even keep my daughter alive. I'm malfunctioned. I can't, I can't eat right now. You know, my daughter's not alive. She, she can't eat. And that, at that, at that point, when I started going there, I think I was like, okay, I need to do something about this. This is not okay. And I sought therapy and I was there for a long time, years actually. And, um, you know, this therapist was awesome and she made me realize, and I had set out to do all of these things in honor of my daughter, write a book. I started writing a book, you know, go help other families in this situation, go back to school, get into palliative care and all of these things. And she had made me realize that, you know, who are you, who are you doing this for? Because you don't have to do any of this and, and your love for your daughter is not measured by what you accomplish in her honor. So, you know, now I feel like I, I still write, um, you know, it, it's hard on her anniversary days, but I allow myself those days and I, 
I talk about her often. Um, I, I drown when I, I, you know, I think of grief as a doorway. Right? Some days where you're willing to put your hand on the handle, you're like, I, I can't even open it. I can't even turn it. I'm not going to go there today. And you keep going. Then there's days where you have to. There's days where you absolutely have to. You have to open that door. You have to look through the memorabilia. You have to listen to the songs. You have to go back and read the posts. And you have to reminisce. And you have to feel it. And you have to experience it. And then you let it go. And that's what I do. I allow myself to do that. And I don't feel shame about it. I don't feel... Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I just allow myself to feel. Do you, do you think that, that just um, what you were explaining with the doorway and grief, do you think that aspect of it um, when you do open up the door and go through those motions of, of, you know, memories, do, does that actually help things? Um, I think it does. Yeah. You know, think about having yourself a good cry. Yeah, well it's just it's it's it but, but some of the memories are, you know, the like you said, I, I remember um seeing the 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 Facebook page and the community that came together and I one that was one of the first things that I said was like wow, like this is actually like it kind of hit me like there 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 may be some hope in this world <laughs> like Mm-hmm. Like people really came together for that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was, it was, it was pretty inspiring for sure. But so to go, I guess to not to get too far off track, but to go back to that door and, and to kind of remember that, that you had that support and that you have that support and, yeah. you know, you were able to, you're, you are able to still, you know, move forward. So yeah. that should, you know, that's kind of, I guess, part of the healing. Yeah. It's still, I mean, excuse me, to this day, it still lifts me up. Hmm. You know, how, what, what, um, what a disservice to do to all of those people and all of that hope and my daughter and all that she fought through and all that I learned, what a disservice it would be for me to just drown and, and give up on life. You know? Wow. What a disservice to myself. I mean, after what everything that I learned. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm still just taken by, by this still. So I'm still processing this a little bit. So you'll have to forgive me that I am not like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly humbled in your, in your strength and in your resilience. And I, I'm curious to know, like, are you still walking through the door of grief and or do you walk into a hallway? Are you walking into like a, a set of stairs when you're going into grief now? Have you, has it, has it become a bigger house where there's more rooms and you're able to, you're able to open more doors now and, and look at things with a wider lens with with some time that's passed and if you don't mind me asking how much time has passed if that's it's been seven years and you know this whole um there's this whole thing there's so much like i feel like bullshit you know that they when people talk about grief the whole oh time heals all wounds and (laughs) all that crap you know what time doesn't really lessen the pain Um, I think what it does is it gives you time to learn how to carry it, you know, like I, like it's become an appendage to me, like an arm or a leg. It's just there. It's part of me. It's changed me. It's who I am. Um, I would say I don't go through the door as often, um, except on those special days, you know, her birthday, the anniversary, or I'll remember, oh my gosh, seven years ago today, we remember this. New Year's Eve is really difficult for me, New Year's, um, because it's another year further away from her, or if I want to look at it differently, closer to her, depending on what you believe, Um, you know, so I feel like it's, 
the pain is still the pain. My arms still feel like I, I could just cut my arms off sometimes just to hold her again. Um, but it's not as often. And I've learned how to kind of, I've, I've learned how to carry it. I give it a piggyback ride everywhere I go, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, I, and I don't know, I, I don't know what your personal belief is in, in energy and stuff. But do you have you felt her presence at all during these seven years? I don't know if you necessarily believe in in that type of thing or not, or if you have you felt any sort of sign of anything um, or I'm not a religious person, I'm a spiritual person. Um I say God because that's you know, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't say God in a religious sense. Um, I say it in the fact that I believe there's something bigger than us. And I believe that our, we have spirits and souls. And yes, I absolutely believe um, that she is here. I believe that she sends me gentle reminders um, exactly when I need them. She was really furry and hairy. And so I have this thing where I associate bobby pins with her for some reason, as you can see, I mean, nobody else can, but I have really, really, really short hair. So I have no need for bobby pins, but I find them everywhere, everywhere I find bobby pins. And oh. I, I do, I believe, I believe that's her. Or if it's a dark day and the sun's suddenly shining or, you know, I see a sunflower because that's what it reminds me. That's what it reminds you know it reminds me of her so yeah there's reminders and that might not be her but you know what i'm going to choose to believe it is because it makes me feel better and that's nobody's business so you know awesome that's yeah i i i think that's very well said but i also agree with that 100 percent. you know i i look at all aspect like religion and stuff like that if it if mm -hmm. if that's what you want to believe in and, and it helps you mm -hmm. then then by all means use it yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah um <clears throat> i will say too that through that whole thing a lot of a lot of bonds with friends that i had lost touch with were renewed um a lot of bonds that i thought were stronger than they were um you know i had to let go um at the time, my husband and I, um, there was nothing, there was absolutely nothing that could change us, you know, experiencing that together. I mean, we held our little girl in our arms as she took her last breaths. We did that together, you know, and, um, but unfortunately, you know, over the years, some more shit happened and, and um, even though we are not together anymore we are we still have that bond you know we we experienced some dark stuff together I had cancer twice after that um so you, you had can't did you have cancer three or like three scares or was it two um I the first scare when I was 25 that was more of we knew it was a benign tumor but where it was no one would touch me it was a three centimeter tumor in my spinal cord. So no one would touch me because of the fear of either killing me or I would be quadriplegic. Um, yeah, 25, you know, I didn't learn anything from that. I didn't learn much. The next week I was out snorting Coke, I think. I, I didn't learn anything. You know what I mean? I, I Whatever, I'm, I'm invincible still at 25. <laughs> sure. You know, so that I got through it and was like, whatever. But then, you know, down the line, I, I started opening my eyes a little bit. You know, what's going on here? What's life trying to tell me, man? Because I'm, I'm, my eyes are open. You keep throwing this crap at me. My eyes are open. What do you want me to see? You know, wow. what do you want me to see? And I think it, it, um, it gave me the gift of, of, being empathetic um, towards others, um, not judgmental at all, always looking to learn. And, you know, Tim and I text back and forth sometimes, or, you know, the other night we spent an hour on the phone just talking about mental health and, and you know, 
our our opinions and our take on things and i i i love to hear other people whether i agree with them or not i love to hear it what can i learn my eyes are open what can i see and i think that's i think you know that's what has made me not sour from all of this it's just opened my eyes what am i supposed to learn here that was that was actually my next kind of question was was that about like you know, w- being uh, empathetic before this happened or more so now, what you've learned and stuff, like what, you know, what takeaways, I guess you could say. Yeah, I've always listened. I've always been an observer. Like I said, the human condition has always fascinated me, psychology, all that stuff. I've always been interested in that. And I've always observed. I've always listened. I've always wondered, like, hmm, like people not even knowing, like, Freud would have, I'm listening to you talk and Freud would have a field day with you. I'm thinking, you know, like it's just, it's always, always just so inquisitive. Was that something, so you've always been like that. Was that some, do you know when that started? Was it, you just were like that as a child and. Honestly, I think it's my dad. I think it's my dad. I, I just. You know, always looking for the lesson, always looking, showing, showing the beauty and everything. Like to this day, he can't walk past anything shiny without being like, ooh, you know, I, I think I really, I think really it was the combination of my dad's like childlike curiosity and my mom's like shitter, get off the pot. What do we need to get through this attitude has kind of cultivated. Yeah, this, yeah. You know. It certainly sounds like it from the way you've the way you've like defined yourself through your through your trials, and it seems like you've got a perfect combination of the two, between the empathy and the and the strength on the other side of you know what do you got to do to get through it and pulling yourself up off the floor. Thanks. It's not easy, <laughs> but as humans, right? We're stupid. We don't learn anything until we have to go through it. I mean, that's it. You never know how strong you are until you have to be. Right. But I think that's also, but I think that's also part of the lesson plan is that you don't, you won't know how strong you are until you have to go through some shit. Right. And, you know, we've all gone through shit in just different ways, but, um, you know, some of the stuff that you've been through, I don't know if I would have got out the other side. I don't know. Yeah. In all, in all honesty, I mean, you know, we've all been through some shit, but, you know, there's been oh, some boys. stuff that we've all... I don't all... know, because I've heard some of your shit, and I mean, <laughs> quite honestly, I don't know that I, you know, could could be in a position where I live in my head, and I'm just so, such a, in such a state of despair that... I don't even want to breathe anymore. Like, I don't know how someone can get through that. So to me, that is an ultimate strength. Well, you know? they, that old, that old cliche about what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is, is, is not, it's as cliche as it is. It's an actual, like, exactly. it's, it's a proverb, I think in, in many right. ways. Yeah. And that's why I respect, you know, I never measure, I never say, well, you don't, he doesn't have to, you know, I would never. And I say that to my friends, you know, this, this is something that I had to, because all my relationships changed when my daughter died, every relationship. And that was the book that I started writing. That's what it was. Like I asked, I interviewed people, my coworkers, my best friends, my mother, my father, my in-laws, my, like everybody, I interviewed them. Like, what's it like now? You know, do you, and as friends, I wanted people to know that, like, just because I've been through what I've been through doesn't mean that yours is any less. It's all subjective. Pain and, and life and stress, it's all subjective. What might be stressful to me might not be stressful to you, you know? So who am I to measure anyone's pain or stress? Come to me. I'm your friend. Talk to me. I want to help, you know? People were kind of apprehensive to do that for a long time like 
I'm not going to talk to her. She's going to think I'm a baby, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that where no. you, do you think that that's why your relationships changed with so many people? Was it because they didn't know how to, to re to respond to you? Or do you think it was more that they didn't know how to respond or react in a way that they thought was going to be beneficial? Do you think they didn't, they didn't know if they could be beneficial? I think they probably didn't know how to respond or act or even what to say to me, honestly. Um, my mom said that to me. She would walk on eggshells because she felt like um, anything she had said, I was like, no, you don't understand. And she would, no, I do. No, you don't understand. And what I couldn't understand was her loss. She, she lost her granddaughter, but she also lost who her daughter used to be. So it was like, I, I feel like people were more apprehensive to talk about their kids in front of me and they're, they don't want to share with me or they don't want to, I really, you know, I, I did for a while get on this pick about like what people say to you when you lose somebody and how shitty the things are. But I had to kind of rein that in and think about it. Like people don't know what to say. They're just trying to be nice. And if, if the intent good, let them be. Oh, they're in a better place. Or, you know, God only gives us what we can handle. And back then I was a little sour about that. I'm like, really? God <laughs> thinks that you must be pretty special. Because God thinks I can handle my butterflies, but you can't. Fucking hooray, I won the lottery. You know, and I, I kind of had to, I had to reel that back a little and realize, you know what? Child loss is taboo. People don't know what to say. The intent is good. As long as it comes from love, let them say what they want, you know? So, yeah, I think it was me. I, I It was probably a combination of both. Well, I was probably kind of putting out a vibe, you know, and, and, sure, and sure. they were kind of like, eh, she's a little crazy right now. I don't want to say anything, but. I had to reassure everyone. I had to have those conversations, those honest conversations. Talk to me. I will, I'm okay. You can talk to me. So. See, and that's where I, I feel like, um, you know, like Will said earlier, like, it, it, you know, everything is mental health, you know, and, and mm -hmm. ha having hard conversations is a part of mental health, mm -hmm. you know, and because people don't, they, 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 you know, detour. They don't want to have the hard conversations, you know, and, yeah. and it's hard it, the, having a hard conversation. You know, they don't just call it a hard conversation because it's, you know, something that you can just do with ease. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Right. It can make, usually make you feel mad or sad or some yeah. kind of, you know, slew of emotions. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're not taught to, to, to embrace our emotions or how to deal with our emotions or regulate them. So it's, again, it's, it's a hard thing. And that's where I think that, you know, it falls into that, you know, pot of stew. Yeah. Yep. And you know that they say, um, you know, I've done a little reading up and they say that more than half of marriages end after the loss of a child. Um, I didn't think that would happen to me, um, but it did. And I think I don't, think that it necessarily had anything to do with that but I think it had everything to do with the fact that we couldn't communicate any longer with each other um I think there's a stigma put on dads um they say like the first year is the worst for the moms and then the following years the second to third year are worse for the dads um because you know instantly the dads have to fuck up they have to be present they have to fix it what do I need to do? You know, that kind of thing. And then it really sets in and they can't, they can't communicate because they aren't allowed to quite frankly. Right. That stigma of men always having to buck up and take care of things and fix things, fix things. Well, I think that really weighed on my, on my husband, the second and third year, he couldn't fix it. What a failure. You know what I mean? And though I've never said that he's the strongest man I know even still, and, uh, you know, just because, and, and so let me talk about that a little, even, I mean, through all this, he battles mental illness himself. 
you know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough to say, I think everyone on some level is mentally ill. I mean, let's face it, we're all fucked up. But I think that that really started to really come into play the years after my daughter died. Um, I was the one getting the support directly on Facebook. I was the one going to therapy. I was the one that was talking to friends. He wasn't going talking to his buddies about his heart being broken. I mean, let's face it, you know? And I, and I feel like that's really when things started to spiral. And um, unfortunately, you know, I, I realized that I, I, I couldn't fix it either. And, and um, you know, we're, we're great friends, but no, can't do it. Um, I, think uh, men, I think men also lack, I think what a lot of men lack is the language to say what it is. And obviously that comes with the toxic masculinity of not being able to express your emotions, obviously, but, but I all, I'm, I'm big on language. And if you only know one word for anger and it's anger, then you don't really have much of a, there's not much dialogue that you can have besides saying you're angry all the time or you. So I do think that there's part of that. And, and again, that's, again, when you're going through some, some serious real grief, it's also hard to, to find the language anyway, because you're not going to look through a book to say, Oh, I got to <laughs> find a word to describe, right. you know, to describe how I'm feeling. Right. But I, I, I think that it, it's beneficial as you come out of, out of the, the, the house of grief into, into a clearing that you start, as you start to put the pieces back together, that you have to figure that there's other language that you have to learn. And I, I'm not making any assumptions whatsoever. I'm just, kind of saying it as a as a guy myself I, it's something that i've learned the hard way that i didn't have the words to describe any of these things until like you know since tim and i've been started to do this i work on my language now and and mm-hmm. and learning how words and how first emotions aren't necessarily the the thing you're really feeling and you got to get into secondary emotions and stuff but in the throes of grief you don't give a shit about what those emotions right. are. You're just like you're in survival mode, pretty much. Right, and you're yeah. just gripping onto the side of the wall, hoping not to fall down the pit any further. Right. Mm. You know, it's it's strange because in the beginning, when it all happened, um, probably for a good year, um, there was no language needed. We could look at each other from across the room and just know. You know, we just knew. <sighs> But then, like you said, that clearing came, real life started happening again, work started happening again, bills and house and people started to go away and didn't come over as much and were left there. And there was, there was no, there was no communication. At least there a was lot, healthy communication. There's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure on both, both parties. Absolutely. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, you know, to not, you know, to, to take out the, the mental illness factor of it and just to, you know, the loss and the grief mm-hmm. to, you know, that's, that's a lot to, that's a heavy yeah. weight for people to, you know, walk through and, and almost mm-hmm. like you're doggy paddling in the sea of despair and to navigate with each other. I, I don't, I I honestly don't know what I could never even imagine, but I just know that it would be uh, that alone would be tough. And then to add that, you know, to come back and then add that other element, it's, you know, now it's almost, and I'm not, you know, trying to pick size, but it's now almost more weight onto your shoulders at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I, I kind of have always been, um, fix it, love it to death, love it, love it till it doesn't hurt. Um, that's me. And that I, I had to learn that too, that that's not the right thing to do. That's not what someone needs. And, you know, fixing things, um, for someone else and is, is essentially robbing them of their own lessons and their own experience. You know, Tim, I mentioned the other day, detaching with love. 
you know, if you love someone enough, love them enough not to fix them, love them enough to let them feel everything and, and learn from it and fall and learn how to pick themselves up. Um, I don't think you're doing anyone, anyone, anybody justice when you're, when you're fixing them. Um, and I, you know, for a long time, for many years, I, I didn't realize that. And, and that was my, that was my um, contribution to that. <laughs> you know, um, I did it the right way, did it the wrong way, but yeah. If you, if you could, if say, if, if, if there was somebody listening now that, you know, was dealing with a spouse or a, a family member, loved one, whatever it may be, you know, they're the, they're on the other side of, of, of mental health, mm-hmm. you know, on the, and, you know, from what you have experienced, could there, could you throw out like a tip or two on how you think um, that, you know, maybe someone could handle a situation Absolutely. a bit better? Sure. Do we have like three hours? No, I'm only counting. <laughs> we can split this into as many shows as we want. <laughs> Number one would have to be, if you are not someone that knows what anxiety or depression feels like, do not ever tell someone to just leave. Just change your thought process. Think positively. I think that is utterly impossible. And I think that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that I made. Um, being a positive person, it was very difficult for me to watch somebody drown in, in, in their head and in the negativity and not, I, I just couldn't understand it, man. We have a house, we have a kid, we have love. Like what else do you need? It has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. It's, it's, the, it's the actual inability that, you know, sometimes somebody doesn't even know why I see that I have all this positivity around me, which makes my depression worse because why do I feel so bad? I have all these wonderful things in my life. Why do I feel so bad? There's something wrong with me, which just builds and builds and builds. Don't ever tell somebody to just buck up. You know what I mean? Go sit with them. Maybe just give them a hug, rub their back. It'll be okay. Do you want some ice cream? Do you know what I mean? Just something simple. Like, don't do that. Also, don't drown in codependency. My my job full time was to research, research, research. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? How can I fix this? You can't fix it. You can't love it away. You didn't cause it. You can't control it and you cannot fix it. Don't fix it. Don't offer your stupid opinion don't tell them what they need to do because they don't want that from you. If, if you're someone in love with someone who has mental illness, they don't want that from you. They want that from their doctor, maybe. From you, they, they maybe just need some softness and some understanding, some patience. You know, if, if you need me to sit with you, do you need to be alone? Is there anything I can do? What do you need? You know? Those, these are all things that I wish I did more of, but I didn't. I did more of the other crap, and I, and I really regret that, and I've apologized for that because I realize that now, you know? After, after this all ended, what am I responsible for in all of this? Quite honestly, because, you know, it takes two. It's never one person's fault. So what did I do? Okay, yeah, that was not good. That was not good, but those are probably two of the biggest things. You know, don't force your opinion. Don't tell somebody what they need to do. And don't think that you can love it away because you can't. That's it. Excellent. Wow. Well said. Yeah, well said. I, I appreciate you saying that it takes two because, you know, like I said, I don't want this to turn into like we're one-sided or anything like that. It, yeah, it, you know, no. it takes two no matter, no matter what. And, um, you know, sometimes you're able to, uh, you know, make it through and yeah. sometimes you're not. But, right. Uh, yeah. All relationships are, are, are two way street, regardless of whether or not it's acknowledged or, or it feels that way. Cause it can, it can obviously feel the opposite way to people, you know, depending on what they're doing. Yeah. So. Yep. 
I just think too, I mean, this is strictly mental illness, you know, when, and when you, when you bring in other things, you know, and, and I think this is, I, I don't know, um, you know, you bring in addiction or you bring in verbal and emotional abuse and you bring in all of those different things, you know, it might be a completely different set of suggestions, <laughs> you know, sure. but, but strictly talking the mental illness piece and, and how, you know, to deal with that, that's definitely, I feel personally, that's something that I wish I did differently or more of. Mm-hmm. And obviously some of those things that you just mentioned can play into, into those, into those things anyway, because mm-hmm. codependent relationships, depending on how it's codependent is, like, because there's codependent relationships for everything, whether it's a child and a parent or whatever, you know, depending on alcoholic parent, you know, addiction. And the, like, there's so many different facets to that. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of yarn in that blanket that, mm-hmm. that can really like, you know, hold you down as far as like getting caught up in, in, in that type of thing. Corey, we, it's, it's been amazing to have you on and talk about your stuff. It's been, it's been superly cool. <laughs> for Thank sure. Thank you guys for having me. I, I really appreciate this. And I hope anyone out there, you know, I don't know. I hope something flipped a switch or, you know, provided some comfort or, or something, some learning. I don't know. That's all I, I want to do is help people. That's what we, you know, that's what we, uh, we all hope, you know, that's what every time we do an episode, that's, that's, you know, what we hope for, but you know, you never know, but you got to try, you got to start somewhere. You got to, you know, I think just by having these conversations is, is, is helping, you know, opening more doors. Yeah. I think you guys are awesome for doing this. Um, You know, my, my husband, one of the things that I say to him is the best gift he's given our son is his vulnerability and his sensitivity, you know, and I, and I think that, um, you know, the more you guys do what you do and, you know, you can be a strong man and a masculine man and still be vulnerable and, and it's beautiful. And I, and I think you guys just don't stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> Thanks for the positive words. Thank you for um, sure. Every episode, we end up with a few questions to, to ponder, and there's not really much pondering in some of them, but but uh, I'm going to let Tim ask the first question. Do you, do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? Yeah, but is it? A, it's not really a nice word. Like it doesn't matter least what it is. Favorite we don't, word in the world yeah. is twat like i hate <laughs> that word i think it's disgusting and i just said it you made me say it i hate that word i love it That's i gotta great. say if you go back and listen to our the interviews that we have done i think the women have all taken the trophy on the least favorite word we've we've had like the the best from women it's true even when we did our, we Tim and I each did our own episode where we each got to ask the other about our own stuff. And my favorite word was "fuck," just because yeah. it's so it, you can use it, but it's it's so un it's so uninventive when <laughs> to use that. You know what I mean? But right. it's like, but it, it can be used in so many ways. Yeah, so and diverse and simple. Like, Absolutely, yeah. and it can be used for so many different things. <laughs> Absolutely, it's a yeah, verb. Right. It's an adjective. <laughs> There's actually, a great, there's actually a great show on Netflix now called The History of Swear Words. And that was oh, the yeah. first episode with Nicolas Cage. It's awesome. I have to watch it. I've heard have, about you it. You have to watch it. It's great. Um, do, you, do you have a favorite word or no? You know, I got to agree with Will. It's probably fuck. It okay. comes out of my mouth and in my head a million times, a million different ways. You know, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. I um, agree. I concur. So, Fuck it. There we go. I love it. Yeah, there's no there's no editing here anyway, so it's all good. Yeah. Uh, cat, dog, or other? 
I had cats for 20 years. I'd only ever owned cats my whole life growing up. I've had my first dog um, this year and a half. And I'm currently in physical therapy because she made me fall and break my shoulder. Oh my God. I still love her though. So I am, I will say either or. I, I just love animals. I don't care. Yeah, then we all have a special place for our animals. Absolutely. Yep. She's laying on me right now. As <laughs> so you, you broke, what did you do? You broke your shoulder? I didn't literally break it, but I, oh, okay. I, um, I have like now rotator cuff syndrome or something. I like injured every single tendon in my rotator cuff. Wow. This Ooh. 30 pound dog. <laughs> Just jacked that arm right out of the socket. Apparently. Jacked me up. That's what happens when you see like French fries or something like that. You know, he saw a cat. A cat. <laughs> well, yeah. French fries. That's what, that's what Tim cat. does. Cat, that's what Tim does when he. That's what <laughs> Tim does when he sees my cat. That's what happens. Yeah. Tim yeah. grabs my arm and tries to run away. Why you don't like cats, TP? I I don't know. They're they're I. They're, they're just allergic, kind of evil. Says. I am allergic to them, though. I am allergic for sure. But they're but the cats are just. I don't know the word I want to use. They're like they're like sneaky. They're like you can't trust a cat. Like you look they're at like humans. The, yeah, yeah, kind of. You know I mean, says cats, that. Do you know who says that about cats? People who have never owned a cat. Have you ever owned a cat? She's asking no. you. I I, 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 literally, I, 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 I'm allergic to cats for sure. I'm not. That's that's truth. I'm just saying, like you go back to like Egypt and stuff. There's like all these cat gods, and there's like the cat eyes, and they're just creepy, man. They, I don't know. There's something about them. They like they, they just, I don't know. Like some of the aspects of a cat are cool, like the fact that they just don't give a fuck about anybody or anything. Like you just the house is on fire and they just look at you like, come on, let's go. And they're just like, yeah, you know, that's cat. Like that's kind of cool, but I, I just, I don't know. I'm just not really a, a cat person. Can't be. I mean, I you know I made a little. I I made some. You know, me and uh, Will's cat definitely. Got along better. Yeah, Tim and Fernando have a little thing going on. Like Fernando <laughs> loves Fernando. My daughter named him Fernando. For, and, uh, Fernando likes to push my buttons, but yeah, you know, we. You know he knows Timmy very well. Yes. Yes. That's usually what happens when you don't want them near you. They're like, "I'm gonna come lay on your neck." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But we got the one time we were actually sitting on the couch and. And like we had this understanding, and Fernando was there, I was here. We kind of checked in on each other, and as long as we stayed where we were, it was okay. And he did; he go. stayed there. Respect social distancing, literally. <laughs> yes, yeah, so like, I can deal with social distancing, cat for sure. Yes. All right. So, if uh, the last question, mm -hmm. if if there was something that you could do or you would like to see done for mental health as a whole what would it be? Wow. I know. Something I could do. I still, I told you the other day, I still want my PhD in psychology. Um, it's my love. Um, something I could do. I'm not necessarily you, like, or something that, that um, you would like to see done, like something, um, something for mental health as like, uh, um... you know what? This might seem, this might seem, I would like to change, I would like to remove the label of commit suicide. I'm Which, glad that you said that because actually I, there's, and, and truthfully, a lot of people have said this and I actually, um, I just, I just stepped down from the board of the Capital Region chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And there's been a big push to get people to stop saying commit. Mm -hmm. And I, I just actually took a class uh, for my peer specialist certificate that I just took a suicide class uh, recently. And it's actually said in a lot of places still, but, but even that they want to change it to die. 
because commit side makes it sound suicide. like yeah, right. it's, it's it's commit makes it sound like it's a you know it's it's a crime or it's it's something that it's 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 bad language and that's like another thing about language is if people don't have a language yeah then you don't know what to say but i'm i'm so happy that you said that thank you so much for saying yeah. that well you know the reason i said that and i'll make it quick because i don't want to go too far off no but, you can take um, as much time as you want the the condition that my daughter had was deemed in medical books as incompatible with life. And in, in my hmm. community, um, you know, that, that community, um, we try to remove that language. Um, biologically, because of the DNA and the chromosomes and the makeup, scientists feel that this is incompatible with life. And, and we want to remove that. Right, right. I could see that. Yeah, it's like almost, um, yes. It's Can almost, you imagine walking yeah. into a doctor's office and, and having a physician say to you, your child, your unborn child is incompatible with life? Well, let me tell you something, buddy. <laughs> My daughter was more compatible with life and experienced more love and spread more joy and shared more hope than most people do in 85 years. And she lived 12 days. So let's stop saying that. So, yeah, I think you're right, Will. I think language, especially mm. in the medical field, you know, it's so, it can be so cold. It can be so cold. I, you know, and I know we're, we're finishing up, but because it's our show, we have the, we reserve the right to not finish up yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love but it. I, but I, I, I just have, what, so what is it like to have that, he said to you but did they offer did they did did you know during your pregnancy that there was going to be problems did they tell you that there was going to be problems and did they did they say maybe you should think about not like terminating and i and please forgive me for being please but, ask bluntly um, ask what yes. you want to say well, I, I just wanted to know if, if they if they had said, you know, that maybe terminating your pregnancy would be better because she was because she obviously had a condition that must have been seen, um, um, you know, I don't I don't know how soon it was during your pregnancy, but. So when you are of advanced maternal age, that is 35 plus, they give you certain genetic testing. And um, they test for Down syndrome, trisomy 21. There's Edwards syndrome, trisomy 18. Um, there's also trisomy 13. And because of what are in the medical books, um, incompatible with life, they actually, I personally was fortunate. I did not always experience this. I experienced some things and I'll get into that. But I know, um, obviously, I've been connected with a lot of families you know, who learn in utero, your child has this condition. There's a one in 6,000 chance that they'll survive pregnancy and, and live to their first birthday, okay? As a, you're both parents, um, when you learn of your child's existence, there's, there's instant love, okay? I was 17 weeks pregnant. I'd already felt her move. I had already named her. I, you know what? She has a plan. The universe has a plan. I'm not messing with it. I'm not doing that. I can't do that. I'm not against that. I'm not against abortion. I think it's a personal and very um, emotional choice, no matter what you choose. But um, I personally could not do it. And I know of a trisomy 13 family where a girl was actually scheduled for a termination and she didn't even know. They called oh her, gosh. oh, you're scheduled for this? No, I'm not. So yes, they do. They, we, what? They yeah, this, there's a ton of people and foundations that have made headway like you wouldn't believe because there's people that are 18, 35, 7, 9 living with these conditions with medical intervention. But I remember going for an ultrasound Um and just saying, you know, had my baby grown, had her current conditions worsened, does she have more fluid, does she have this, is her brain normal, blah, 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 asking questions, completely dismissed, 
didn't even want to talk to me, nothing. In fact, went out in a room and told someone that I was in denial. Um, there's nobody more aware of my daughter's mortality than me, buddy. I'm carrying her in my belly every day, not knowing if she's going to live. So I'm not in denial. I'm hopeful. Okay. Um, so there's all of that. Um, wow. I remember I had a friend with me at the time because my husband couldn't come and she was walking up New Scotland Avenue screaming, these mother effers, I can't believe this. I can't believe, I've never witnessed anything like that in my life. This baby better prove them wrong. But yeah, this, it's, I think, I think that the social aspect of certain medicine, I won't say all medicine, I'll say maternal fetal medicine for sure, um, you know, could use a little lesson. I think you become just, I think these, some, not all, like I said, I was fortunate. That was probably my worst experience. I, I was fortunate. I had a lot of people supporting me in the medical field, but I really feel like they need a lesson. I feel like they become desensitized. These are parents, you know, these are families commit suicide. These are families that you're talking to. A mother has to look at a death certificate that says committed suicide. That's so awful. Just change it. Just change it. What's the big deal? You know, it's just, I don't know. No, we agree. We try to always, always, you know, definitely always, if somebody says something along those lines, we try to politely correct them. You know, and just give give them the alternative of, you know, the die by suicide or. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for kind of bringing it full circle around because that was really good. Because you, you kind of, you got, you got it right back into the end of it. And I, 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 and I, I'm sorry that I didn't ask that question earlier. I just, it was like something that just kind of came up while you were talking that we didn't really get the. I didn't get to ask that question. Don't apologize. It's cool. It's cool. It's organic. It comes as it needs to, right? Yeah. Yeah. We try not to for it. Like, there's no way. I don't have a sheet of paper in front of me with questions on it. We just fly by the seat of seat of our pants usually doing these things. Well, it's working. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you so much for being a part of this. This has been, you know. I'm sure there's a lot of women and a lot of men that need to hear this too, but I'm sure there's a lot of, of women who have, who have, who have been through similar situations as you have. And it'll be, it'll be super amazing to hear your story. Thank well, you so much for doing it. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys. I appreciate you for having me. And if anybody reaches out to you guys, and, and wants to talk to me further more in depth, please I give them my number I don't care yeah because you do you you are involved in helping families yes. right yes yes is I there am. is there an organization that you want to is there an organization a foundation a a dot org or anything that you want to sort of you know, you know throw out that I I have to give a certain team a shout out and that is the palliative care team at Albany Medical Center. Um, palliative care um, doesn't necessarily deal in life ending illnesses, but it, it can be end of life, but it's about supporting the human all around. You know, they offer spiritual support and medical support. And, and I feel like if, if they didn't somehow step into my world at that time, I probably would have ended up being forced to do what I didn't want to do. And wow. they help families. They've helped my, you know, I have friends who have lost children too and, you know, cancer or whatever. And um, this team has been active in that. And, you know, they're just amazing. Dr. Joanne Porter, of the palliative care team at AMC is freaking angel. That's good awesome. to know that that they that they have those teams in place for that. Yeah. Yep. 
Big shout out to AMC. Yeah. Yeah. Not the not the maternal fetal medicine group though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just the palliative care group, okay. and the, yeah, and the neonatal people too. But yeah. Well, again, thank you for your time and sharing your story. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard. You seem to be okay with it, but um, you know, it, being vulnerable for some of us is not always easy. And, um, you know, your help in opening new doors and opening the conversation is always welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Tori. It's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and, and these conversations, more people need to hear them. And, and by you opening up like that, it, it helps someone else. And that's what we aim to do. That's what we aim to do, man. Please don't stop. Keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome. I love it. Awesome. And you can thank you, you can find us on um, social media platforms, above ground podcasts, yeah, Facebook, at, Instagram, yeah. Um, yeah. Spotify, Apple, Apple, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio Podcast. Podcast. Uh, where else are we? We're in we're in all the good podcast places. Yeah, just uh, just just give us a search, give us a trance, and uh, check it out. And if you like it give us a star absolutely and if you're on apple the best way to do oh we're on youtube too you can find us on youtube too so it's it's awesome yeah we're everywhere we're everywhere that you can be right now at least least that i can keep track of anyway yeah 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 it doesn't mean that people are watching or listening that's right it doesn't mean anybody's listening but you know we're doing the best we can (laughs) on that note Uh, Until next time, be well, be safe, be up above. above.